This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, it's Andrew Harrison here with part two of our Christmas live show from 21 Soho in London. Roz, Naomi, Alex and Dorian will be looking at the main characters of 2022. So imagine you've just had a couple of hasty pints and please return to your seats. Welcome back. Hope you are nicely refreshed. Uh, we're going to talk about the main characters of the year, the people who shaped 2022 uh, for good or ill. And we're going to exclude Labour and Tory politicians because we talked about them in the first half. Um, we still we still don't like Boris Johnson. I'll probably we're still not talk, talk about, about PR, though. <laughs> <laughs> I vetted this. There are literally no bridges to the <laughs> subject of PR. Alex, start with you. Somebody, you are a... a a frequent user of Twitter.com. Um, so we're going to start with... I, I am what's termed a heavy user. A heavy I tweet user. more than twice a week. <laughs> a little bit, just a little bit. Um, technically a professional tweeter. Right, right. This yeah. is where the, the, all their ad dollars are coming from. It's the, there's a special manager in Twitter who just deals with your, your output. Um, so Elon Musk is... Is this the single worst one-person fuck-up in the history of capitalism? Um, well, no. I mean... I mean it's not Gerald Ratner, but it is, I mean, maybe it is. It's probably worse, yeah, actually. Ta- Time Warner buying AOL to get into that whole internet thing. Uh, one person, Still though. has to be One person, there. though. That was our yeah, whole company. So. I mean, it's up there. Yeah. Spending $44 billion uh, because the moderation team won't let your mates play. And, and then inviting your mates back and one blanks you and the other one starts posting swastikas so you have to ban him again. I mean, that's not a great return for $44 billion, is it? Um, also trying not to buy it, then being made to buy it. Yes. Then, then saying he was doing it for the wider good, even though he tried not to buy it. Um, then trolling advertisers, then having to beg advertisers not to go. Yeah. Then advertisers blanking him. That was fun. Twitter blue. <laughs> the greatest thing for me with Twitter blue was when Jesus got a blue tick. <laughs> and then... And then it was even better because um, one magazine... By paying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then one magazine did an interview with Jesus and uh, he was saying, oh, God, it's a nightmare now. You know, people feel... And, and, and it turns out I've had death threats. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jesus. Live yeah, I mean, girl. come on, man. You should be over that by now. Also, he had to sell a lot of his Tesla stock to buy it and he's take lost, out a big loan. He's lost a vast <laughs> amount of money as well. Like on, and Tesla has gone down. They expected to lose about a quarter of its value by the end of the year. He might no longer because be the richest person in the world. what? Who buys electric cars? It turns out it's the woke elite. 
there is the spiciest of takes that actually this might be good to the planet, good for the planet, because it separates in the minds of like MAGA people, it separates electric cars from the liberal elites and makes them seem like uh, just idiots with racist friends who don't understand the First Amendment could also uh, like Tesla. Right. So in the end, the planet wins, which I just thought was an amazing. That is quite uh, a hot quite take, good, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah. I saw that take on Twitter. Which so, yeah, I mean, you know, effectively, he's the only person to ever whistleblow on his own company. So, yeah, I, I, I'd say that's pretty fun. And his, me- and his terrible memes. Did you see the, what was oh, it, God, my pronouns so are prosecute Fauci? So bad. All of, sort of it. This is sort of like transphobic and uh, anti-vaxxer in the same unfunny meme. I, I feel kind of privileged in a way to sort of witness this midlife crisis in such exquisite detail, you know. It, it, it's like White Lotus season three. <laughs> only sort of out there. Well, it's like a, kind of, it's like a 50 megaton divorce behaviour, <laughs> isn't it? Um, it would, do you think Twitter will eventually become intolerable and some wits in the audience will probably point out that it already is? But, I mean, is there... Is there a point where the guy running it is such an asshole that you just can't be on it anymore? Well, they're all assholes, though, aren't they? I mean, yeah, we still shopped at Topshop. Yeah. <laughs> I, the thing is, none. I am shocked. None shocked of, at you. None of the. Um, the thing is, there was this kind of wonderful, you know, idealistic. Like it was a little bit. Do you remember when everyone was trying to set up a new centrist party yeah. during the Corbyn years? Yeah, it was nice. Um, and now everyone's trying to sort of find a new platform. Yeah. So it was Mastodon Mania. And I like Mastodon. Post was one. Well, that's only in beta testing. It's not fully out yet. So. Right, okay. But it just doesn't seem like there's a replacement for the one run by the idiot. No, he's got you hooked now. You've got to accept it. Will well, you ever I, really leave? I, I think he's irrelevant to the platform, to be honest. I think he will end up selling it for much less and somehow making that into a great victory, as men well, like that tend to do. Because that does happen. Because my prediction was that he would just end up selling it, and someone goes, but he'd lose money. And it was like, the history of capitalism is often yeah. people offloading unwise purchases for a lot less money. I like, mean, Twitter was losing money before, by the way. It, it, it's only ever turned a tiny profit for two years in its entire history. So it's already losing money, and it... He saddled it with debt to buy it. So it's now a money-losing machine. And at some point, he's going to offload it for, like, two quid. Is it a bad idea to have the most important forum for political and cultural debate in the world, uh, a private company that can just be owned by uh, a divorce man? It was already a private company. No, but you know what I mean? The fact that it could could be bought, does that not suggest a certain... I I think that's slightly romanticising what had gone on before. I mean, it was... It was run by a board for profit. They, they weren't some sort of... No, but that's of... what I mean. Like, the, fact, the very fact that we are so reliant on Twitter, you know, that that's whether, whether you're on it or not, you know, so much political debate comes out of that, so much mm. of the agenda is set, this is where so many people sort of talk to the world, and yet it, it's this. Yeah. We're reliant on Twitter. Twitter relies on us because we generate the content. It's a sort of symbiotic not ideal relationship, but that's why it's free. 
Sorry, I, I know that's not particularly sexy, but you, you have to pay for stum- stuff somehow. And on Twitter, you pay mm, it pay by... with our principles. Put, putting, up, putting up with a twat as a boss. I hate to promote my own material here, but um, Ian and I are about to uh, record launch an episode social media. of Origins. <laughs> yeah, launch our own. Uh, it's called... It's two of our names together. It's just called Dorian. LAUGHTER um, <laughs> No, we're going to do the free speech, freedom of speech episode of Origin Story. And literally everything Elon Musk says about it is so delightfully, inspirationally wrong that it's been a great, uh, it's been a great help. Naomi, uh, for you, something more positive. Uh, the England women's football team, a.k.a. the Lionesses. Um, apart from the fact that broadcasters now have to refer to the current World Cup as the men's football, not just the football... Um, why was their World Cup victory such a, a cheering cultural event? Because we got to sing 20 weeks of Hurt <laughs> rather than 20 years. Um, they, yeah, um, so, so they won the Euros. Um, and look, cheering because a home nation won an international tournament, I, I just don't think it's any more complicated than that as to why we got behind it. But... Um, I know that our listeners tend to be men. I think we have a majority male listenership, according to the stats we get uh, from the back end of Apple. But pleasingly, I can see lots of uh, non-men in the audience as well. Um, So uh, I think it was inspiring for a whole new generation of girls and, you know, their participation in sports. But frankly, not just in sports, but for every single woman who's been overlooked, patronised, missed out on a promotion to a male colleague, so every had a woman. male colleague take credit for their work. So, you know, hands up, women, if, if that resonates with you, if any of you have been through that, because I sure as hell have. So, you know, they, they did it for us and... Uh, and, you know, fucking good on them. Um, and for it to happen in a field that is so often linked to toxic masculinity, I think just made it all the sweeter. So, yeah, bravo, the lionesses. Roz, uh, for you, the royal family, all of them. Um, even, even dodgy Prince Michael. Well, so really lit- I mean, literally all of them, going down very, very far down the, uh, okay. the order. Okay. Yeah. Um, after the first week, the death of the Queen, for me, did not feel as strange as I expected. Um, and people are not always, you know, it's not people are always talking about it. Do you think it has changed the country at all? No, not yet. I mean, <laughs> I think the monarchy is... The way the monarchy works, is, I think, is that you don't really... Because we, we parcel up our history in monarchy bits, you know... There's the Elizabethan first era. There's the Victorian era. And then there's some eras that, you know, we, we, don't, we don't actually bother with very much because they weren't very, very long or very interesting. But we do try to parcel up our history in monarchical terms. And so you can't really do that until way after it's finished. I think what we've been left with after the death of the Queen is a kind of feeling of massive... The uncertainty about what the, where the monarchy goes now, and that's obviously been intensified by Harry and Meghan and the documentary and everything. And, but there's, there's even more talk about what the monarchy does, about 
uh, its history, about uh, about empire, what its relationship is to empire, whether it can ever really escape it, and of course the incident a couple of weeks ago with um, the um, head of a charity uh, and the the uh, Queen's lady in waiting who was who was sacked after what she said uh, said to her. So. It seems, it feels like the monarchy is still really struggling to come up with any kind of identity post-Elizabeth. And I think it's going to carry on struggling. I mean, we know that he doesn't like pens, but in what other way has King Charles made his mark? Well, one thing I have noticed is that people are throwing eggs a lot more at him. More than they did when he was prince. And obviously no one was throwing eggs at the queen because, you know, she was the queen. That would just be throwing eggs at a 96-year-old woman. You don't do that. That's just bad taste. But people feel, seem to feel free to throw eggs at Charles. And in some ways, I think this is a good thing because it means the whole royal family is, you know, feels more accessible, more relatable, more, you know, more... You, you feel you can reach out and criticise them, which you couldn't feel with, right. the, with the queen. So that's got to be... Got to be a good thing. Okay, one more question. Is it acceptable to find Harry and Meghan annoying, even if the Daily Mail does? (laughs) (laughs) You you can get egg from Meg. We've seen the price of eggs. It's really a statement. (laughs) It's like a tenner a throw. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think it it is acceptable. But... Harry and Meghan are one more, one more nail in the coffin of the monarchy. I, when, when it goes, it won't be like the Russian Revolution, and it won't be like the French Revolution and guillotining. It will just gradually ebb away <laughs> from sight. And that is very unsatisfactory because, you know, I would love to see, I would love to see them get evicted from all their palaces. Uh, and, and I, that, that, but it's not going to happen like that. What will actually happen is that, you know, things get a bit more financially tough and Charles has to flog off one or two of the smaller residences. And then William takes over and he does some more and gradually it shrinks down. But the monarchy has thought for the past, you know, few decades that it could renew itself by basically bringing on board a beautiful young woman and there was Diana, and there was Meghan, that would invigorate it by sheer force of charisma, of personality, of beauty, that would invigorate it. And what instead has happened is that that woman has cracked under the pressure of the modern media and has instead turned on the family and started to try to destroy it. And... That was always inevitable, I think, in the world because it just wasn't possible anymore to keep up that fiction under that kind of scrutiny. But I don't think they've quite realised it yet. And until they do, and they confront what they do, what they do, force women to do in that family, I, I don't think mm. they, will, they will be able to... to uh, it doesn't seem to be possible for the, for the uh, family to reinvent itself, put well, it that way. We're sticking with your bold prediction that they will not ultimately be gunned down in a basement, though, like the Romanovs. Yep. Okay. That's yeah. a, you're, that's a you confident prediction. You guys are so weird about yeah. the royals. You're that so not, weird about the royals. Uh, that's not one of my predictions <laughs> for 2023. Uh, Alex. Um, <laughs> Mick- Harry and Meghan have revitalised the monarchy by providing this ailing panto with a villain. <laughs> that's what's happened. They've basically taken the US market, which is a much bigger market than the UK market, do they fucking care what Camilla Tomini at the Telegraph thinks? No, they don't. They've got a big market over there, and yeah. now... And $112 million. William, and now William and Kate go over there, and they get booed. 
That's the future of your monarchy. Um, Alex, Mick Lynch, probably not a fan of the monarchy. Um, he's been impressively popular. Normally there's attempts to, to demonise a prominent union leader. I remember like Bob Crow was a, a villain for a very long time. Um, what's his sort of secret as a as a sort of the, essentially the face of the union movement during a period with, of strikes which, you know, it's very easy to see why people would not like strikes. Yeah. And yet there is this impressive amount of sympathy. What's, what's his trick? I think he's very straight-talking. I mean, I think he's probably a relatively unpleasant man, actually, knowing his opinions and other stuff. Oh, like anything I, other I, than trains yeah, is pretty I'm bad. Not, yeah, exactly. I, I don't think we should be going to him for anything other than trains. But I don't know, he does this, he does this thing, he gets behind the sort of journalist's sophistry somehow by being very direct and going... What are you trying to get at? That's nonsense. It's nice. He sort of pulls the kind... Yeah. He, he doesn't play the game. No. He, he, and, and I think that's very refreshing, but also I think that's very easy for him because he's, he's talking essentially to, to only one constituency, his members. And, and so it's very easy to be straight-talking in that way. He doesn't have to manage a sort of very mixed church like a politician does. He doesn't have to think what will upset. He just has to represent his members, and boy, does he do it well. Yes, because I saw that definitely during the first wave of, of Mick mania, uh, <laughs> there were some people going, if only he was leading the Labour Party. And it was uh, like, you know, the reason he can do this is because he's not leading the Labour Party. <laughs> and he can have, like, these yeah. wild uh, takes on, you know, Brexit in Ukraine and can just be kind of extremely uh, straightforward. And he doesn't have to worry... I mean, not saying everyone has to worry as much as Keir Starmer, but, you know, the job requires... I don't think anyone worries as much <laughs> as, as Keir Starmer, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but very good on the trains. Uh, <laughs> and now, fundamentally right. Yeah. That's the point, isn't it? He's right. Now, Roz, the activists of Just Stop Oil, um, they do not have a star star player. It's a, it's a kind of horizontal organisation. They began their campaign this year by blockading oil terminals. They're better known now, I guess, for lobbing food at paintings. Now, when it's such a last-ditch, high-stakes campaign, is it possible to say with any confidence what works and what doesn't? That, that for me, is, is the sort of the, the crux of it, that I actually don't know if what I think is counterproductive actually might work in the end. As we saw with Insulate Britain, insulation is actually a very mainstream issue now, which maybe it didn't seem like it was going to be when um, they were blocking roads. No, you don't. I mean, the reason for that is that there's no, you know, there's, there's no easy link between what they, what they want, what they're campaigning for, and what they get. And it's not, it's not going to happen. It's clearly that the government is not going to do what they want. The thing about protests that I think people don't get is that it's often not completely rational and it's usually not sensible. And we have lulled ourselves, I think, sometimes into a feeling that you can protest by signing a petition or going on an organised demo. And those are ways of protesting, but they are still, they are, you know, within the accepted bounds of democracy. Protest that actually shocks and cuts through is often not like that at all. 
And we think of the suffragettes as because their cause was obviously right, as everything they did um, was was uh, was uh, perfectly legitimate. Actually, at the time, many of the things they did were violent. Uh, you know, arson, breaking windows, throwing yourself in front of a horse. These things are not so dissimilar to some of the stunts Just Stop Oil do, though usually much less violent. Um, in, in, in the case of Just Stop Oil. And protest has to have that shock value or there is no value to it, really. If people aren't surprised and shocked and horrified by what you do, then you're not really demonstrating how passionately you feel about mm. something. And you're not going to get the media coverage that you want and need. And this is why, you know, as a lot of you will have heard um, Ian and I disagreeing on, um, oh God, what else, on this very subject about the worth of throwing... Uh, tins of soup at paintings, even when you don't actually damage the painting, but that was overlooked for quite a while. You, you, you need to shock. You need to startle people out of their complacency and make, think, God, these people really care, don't they? Why do they care so much? Is it because this is actually something which is incredibly important? Yeah. And that's why I don't condemn Just Stop Oil for what they do. You know, it's been annoying sometimes to be inconvenienced by occasionally by, by Just Stop Oil, and there are a lot of people here, I'm sure, who have been too. But ultimately, I know what they're trying to do, and the only way they get the coverage for what they do is by doing these things that people do not like. Uh, Naomi, your next one, a different take on... Uh on protest, Joe Lycett, a comedian and consumer activist who scored two direct hits this year, one against Liz Truss, thus, I believe, uh, destroying her premiership, and uh, David Beckham over <coughs> his role as sort of ambassador to the Qatar World Cup. Do you think he's found... I mean, that, the, normally political comedy does not register on that scale. Has he found a sort of new way yeah. to be to be satirical, to be provocative. Yes. And I think it's masterful in its simplicity, both in terms of who he targeted and how he exposed them. So the first was a lampoon of right-wing talking heads, but really he was criticising the media and its complicity in normalising completely crackers, political punditry, and it was just... It was. I, I still go back and watch it occasionally. It just makes me feel good. Um, and the the second one, um, the obvious target, of course, was the England squad. But I think he recognised that no matter their sins or otherwise, it, it is incredibly difficult to galvanise a nation behind or against their national squad. Um, and so he chose Beckham instead to highlight the same issue. Uh, but in a way everyone could get behind because the hypocrisy was just so, so clear. And so I just think that simplicity was masterful and it worked, and now everyone's waiting for his next big political intervention. It is interesting slash depressing that we're talking about the, 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 what is largely effective about Mick Lynch is that way of kind of uh, pulling back the curtain on political interviews and just simply going, this is an absurd question. What are you trying to do? And what Joe Lysett did there was sort of pull back the cut on, on punditry and just goes, this is the kind of nonsense that you yep. get. And yet, 
nothing seems to change. You know, and it's not like all these, you know, obviously TV politics journalists. You know, it's a very good, you know, smart, talented people there. And yet the norms of it. Good campaigns take shift. a long time. But do you, you know, but think... do, you feel, do you feel like the thing needs a, a, a rethink? What like thing? the whole, just the whole way that we, you know, that the news yeah. and these discussion programs present politics. It just seems like. That there's this. I read a great um, thing in the New States somewhere. Phil Collins uh, or Philip Collins is he? Yeah. Um, I think because he's tired of that laughter. Um, you know, he's he's reviewing the new biographies of uh, Liz Truss and, and Boris Johnson, and he's just going, "It's so fucking tedious." Like Westminster-style lobby correspondent books, where they always describe what they what they ate. You know, as like over a meal of macaroni cheese and frazzles, they thrashed out their Brexit policy, and it's it's always... frazzles are accidentally <laughs> vegan, by the way. Just pointing that out. They're very it's good. It's always the um, yeah. So so there's there's all these norms, and yet they never they never sort of change. I constantly feel like there's just this same old ritual. Mm. Yeah, and I think he's poking fun right at the heart of that. But you can make a serious point jocularly, yeah. and he does it to perfection in his comedic timing is on point and he's really matured. I mean, I went back as a result of seeing all of this stuff to look at his earlier work and by God, he's been on a journey and he's, he's much better now than he was. And so um, I think we're all excited to see what comes next and, you know, we'll live in fear of being the butt of his next attack. Uh, Alex, also quite funny when he wants to be President Joseph Robinette Biden. Um, Despite lousy approval ratings and dire predictions of a red wave, he ended up having the best first-term midterm results of any president, I think, since George W. Bush after 9-11, and any Democrat since FDR. How much credit should he get for that versus the party and the individual candidates? I, I don't know, because I never know with Biden whether what he does is deliberate or accidental. <laughs> I suspect it's de- deliberate, which would make him a very, very canny politician. But he's, he does this thing where he just, you know, he's a bit doddery and he mentions some, oh, yeah, they're a bit fascist. And suddenly the whole thing is on fire. Um, and, and that's actually quite Trumpian. He's, he's really fighting them at their game by firing up his base and really triggering them deliberately. And he does it all the time. So I don't think it can be a coincidence. Well, he's very underrated, I think, consistently, um, because he does keep... I mean, the approval rate is not great, but he does keep delivering the results. And there's this great clip from the primaries back in 2020, where he just goes, people keep saying, I'm dead. I'm not dead! (laughs) You know, and one, he's not dead. (laughs) Two, he is the president. Yeah. And, I mean, and the thing is, the, the reason I hesitate to give him credit is because he's very good at then stepping back and letting others sort of do the work at the state level or the grassroots level or whatever. He's, he's, he's never kind of front and center claiming that was all me when things go right. And, and so he's very non-Trumpian in that way. Well, do you think Trump has been mortally wounded? A failure of almost all his hand-picked candidates, I think, except J.D. Vance, all the swing state election deniers, Ron DeSantis, you know, who despite just having a terrible personality uh, and awful politics, looks imperious... In Florida, is this sort of... 
I mean, I don't want to speak too soon, but do you, do you feel in your bones that, that actually Trump is not going to do it this time? Here's an interesting thing. The Hill uh, reported today that since, he's, since the midterms and since Trump announced that he will run for president, he hasn't done a single campaign event, um, gone to a single rally, appointed a single member of campaigning staff, or raised any money. That's quite interesting. Even Kanye it? West has done more for his like, presidential yeah. campaign than that. <laughs> I mean, so there's that. And, and I think if there, were ever a, uh, if there were ever a doubt that he'd win the nomination, I don't think he'd run. But, you know, he's fucking Freddy Krueger. You know, he's, he's Michael Myers. If you ever decide, okay, he's dead now, and turn your back to him, yeah. he'll just bolt upright just on the corner of the frame behind you. And so I, I just don't, I don't know with him. I, I hope I, he actually dies. <laughs> like, you know... But that's, you know, I sort of, you know I, I'm not saying he should go in a car crash, but he's, you know, he's an old man and he doesn't, he if, doesn't look a healthy colour. If God... Um, so... If God, I, God forbid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah But so, I think it is worth pointing out, because we like some optimism at Christmas, um, that actually what the results showed is that the culture war can go too far. That yeah. A lot of the stuff they ran on didn't work and was actually repellent to a lot of the voters they needed that election denial, which just seemed like it was going to become the norm, failed in swing states, didn't fail. A lot of election deniers were elected in, in, in red states. But when it was really tested, that failed. And so I think a lot of the feelings perhaps that we had, that there was, it was just this kind of constant downward slide, it, it's not quite that. I mean, it's not great. And, and I love but, the fact you know, that not all of them, but some of the election deniers that lost the, inec- the election then denied they'd lost that election. <laughs> Which is like the final scene in All About Eve, where she's reflected in all the multiple... Did they? Did they? Because the ones I saw, like Carrie Lake and Herschel Walker, didn't. There are a few that went, yeah, no, there was dodgy business going on. I always blame all my failures on dodgy business. Yeah. Uh, Finally, last one, bit of an obvious one, because he's Times Person of the Year, Uh, Vladimir Zelensky, uh, who is the, the president of Ukraine. Ros, obviously, you know, there'd be immense sympathy for Ukraine, whoever was in charge. Why has he been so incredibly effective and, I don't know, it's enough word, but iconic? Like, he, the, the, there is this sort of global celebrity to him that you would not necessarily expect simply by dint of his role. First of all, you've got to remember he was an actor. And that gives him a massive advantage. Uh, that's not to say he's not wholly sincere and um, uh, and extremely good at what he does, but undoubtedly he understood very fast, very quickly, how useful video and social media could be to him. It wasn't long after the invasion when he was putting out videos, which were, you, know, you probably recall, very moving when he was saying... Russians are Russians are approaching Kiev, but we're not going anywhere. I'm I'm staying. This is these my people are with me, and he has that everyman quality as well. You know, he's not particularly slick, but he's able somehow, I think, for a lot of people to personify a spirit of opposition and resistance in Ukraine in a very, in a very powerful way, and 
it's you know it's partly by dint of him looking a bit ragged and you know he's he's off he's usually got stubble and he's often wearing a t-shirt doesn't fit very well and it's 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 not you know the polish and the the military stuff that you might get with many other many other leaders in that situation so i think that that's been that's been key to it but most of all that he's an actor and he's damn good at it um name he also seems to be actually rather good at uh, being a war leader um now, none of us is a, is a military expert, I should hasten to add. Um, but, I mean, do you think... Do you get this feeling that Putin has already lost this war? Do you see a resolution next year? Yeah. Um, I mean, bearing in mind that it, it's obviously very yeah, you know, tough to call. And, and I'm definitely not a military strategist. That's um, not a military hat, is it? It's not. <laughs> It's not, it's not. I mean, the number of people who are applying for jobs at Best for Britain who have done war studies at King's, I can't tell you. Like, we had 120 applications for one job last week, and I'd say a good, good 60 of them did war studies at King's. I'm not one of them. Um, I don't think there's going to be a resolution in 2023, um, and I don't mean to sort of end uh, the show on a, a low note, so please do get some you know, more upbeat questions ready for the Q&A. Um, it, it's impossible to predict, of course, um, and anybody that tries to tell you that they know what's going to happen is a liar and don't believe them, and information is, of course, very much part of, of battle, um, and you've got purposeful lies on both sides. Um, I don't think Putin can win, though, um, uh, because... His definition of what winning means has been incredibly hard to pin down. Um, we were led to believe it was regime change, and that's why they, they, they stormed Kiev. There is absolutely no chance he's winning on that front. Um, then it was potentially the freeing of, of two of the republics, but he's absorbed them legally into Russia entirely. And Ukrainians are hardening their position, um, and... And, and so, you know, can it be resolved by Putin being toppled? I don't think so in 2023, certainly, because Russia is increasing its totalitarianism, its control of the media, of freedom of speech. So you know, his, his own personality ratings seem to be pretty high. Him dying would also be helpful, yeah. wouldn't yeah, he? And, and He's that, not a healthy colour. No, no, this is true, but, you know. This is why Alex is banned from hospitals. He just goes around going, I just you go look, around you going, look pale. But 2024 could bring something different, and the economic sanctions, if they're kept up, will you know really, really be being felt by then. And Ukraine is just the very literal battlefront between authoritarianism and liberal democracy. And so the West have just got yeah. to keep up their support and not waver. And then it might be 2024, but. For 2023, I, I just can't see that route. Well, let's moment. face it, it's so obviously the right thing to do supporting Ukraine that even Boris Johnson got that bit right. Indeed. Um, oh, no, I've ended by saying something nice about Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> he also did many things that were wrong. Um, just four questions. Although he overdid it right, hmm? there came a point where he was overdoing it. Right, you know. Oh, right, yeah. Where Zelensky must have been going, who this about new you, phone, <laughs> you know. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it 
a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Um, we've got time for one more round of peer and loathing, and it's Ros's turn. He literally can't see. You, you've got a tiny forehead, I just realised. Yours, yours is like a, a highway billboard. Face. It was very easy. Let me have a... Look at mine. I mean, mine is okay. extreme. Okay. Right, Andrew's showing you the answer. Assistant. <laughs> right. Our lovely assistant, Andrew, is circulating at the moment. Right. Okay. Hit us with the questions, Russ. Right, okay. I'll start with the obvious one first. Am I male or... Uh, sorry, am I female? No. no, no. So I'm not Michelle Moan. That's disappointing. I was looking forward to that one. Right. Um, okay. Uh, have I made donations to a political party? Probably. Probably. Yeah. I don't, Probably. Not, Probably. I mean, how else do you get to the Lords nowadays? <laughs> it's not what you're famous for. It's not what I'm famous for. Okay. Um, right. Um, God. Am I notorious, would you say? Would you describe me as yes. notorious? Yep. For what, sorry? Well, no clues. No clues. Okay, sorry, no, oh dear, no clues. This is going to be a struggle. The Ros fans in the audience trying to help you out. <laughs> Am I very rich? No. I mean, compared to you and I, babe, but... Mm, no, just sort of, yeah. Not, not famously rich. Okay, was I a politician before I entered the Lords? No. no. No, so I've been ennobled for some other reason. But nobody for really knows no what it is. <laughs> for no fucking discernible reason. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not David Frost. I'm not sort of hanging around the, you know. No. no. Was I ennobled by Boris Johnson? No. Uh, no, so um, uh, am I a Labour politician? No. no. Am I a Conservative politician? No. So well, I'm a crossbencher? You're a, no, 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 you're a conservative peer. Peer, but you're I'm not a, a politician. You're a conservative peer. I'm a, yeah, so I, I guess, aren't, aren't peers politicians? I mean, you know, oh, I know. Not this one. Not this one. Okay, so I'm a male. I don't know that he's ever shown up, to be honest. Oh, God. So I, mean, I don't imagine it's not him kind of pouring over the white Finer papers. detail of <laughs> the elections bill. Am I over 70, like most peers? No, no. Oh, okay. No? No, not quite. No, no. no. I think I'm no, more kind of sixties territory. Yeah. yeah. So I'm in my sixties. I'm male. I'm notorious. I wasn't a politician before. Uh, I'm a conservative. God, I'm pretty waste of space, aren't I? Try previous jobs. I would go down pre- <laughs> the previous jobs route. Okay. Was I a businessman? No. 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 Well. Was I? Am I Paul Dacre? Nope. No. Isn't he? He's not up here yet. Isn't he? I thought he was. No, he's soon oh. to be. Uh, um, sorry, I'm not doing very well here, especially compared to my enlightened companions. Celeb- I'll give you a clue. He's a celebrity. He's a celebrity. Um, in a Hancock sort of way. <laughs> no. <laughs> Has he, has he done a reality No, he TV? was actually good at something at some point. Yeah, he was, yeah. He, yeah t- top of his 
So I'm kind of Itch. in the Charles Brandreth kind of area. No. <laughs> oh, God, this is terrible. <laughs> it's both of them. Thank you. Thank you. Whoever that lady is, thank you. Thank Put you out of your misery. Like, putting, yes, exactly. I'm I like very, the way I'm a member of the audience. Just went for the full clue. You see, not even... I'll, you know, not even he used to wear white. It's like it's beefy, beefy bosom. Um, by the way, speaking of celebs, has anyone seen the Strictly results? Because somebody on Twitter was coming here tonight and concerned that they were missing the Strictly results. So, if any, if Andrew, if we can get the Strictly results, I feel we should share them with the room. People have given up watching that to be. Um, well, that is all that, all that we have time for. Um, thank you for coming, and thank you to Naomi Smith. Thank you very much. Ros Taylor. And Alex Andreu. Thank you to our many absent panellists, now too numerous to name, and to everyone in the backroom team at Podmasters for making sure Oh God What Now comes out twice a week. Whoop, Now we, uh, we have a little time for some uh, audience questions. Um, do you think the right-wing press has become less important this year? Has the right-wing press become less important this year? Um, I mean, I feel it's been getting less important for quite a while now. I mean, do you think that they were... Because there's definitely a point, wasn't there, where they were backing Johnson. It didn't seem to make... It doesn't seem to make any difference. I think that whole idea that I've certainly that I've grown up on is that when you know when Murdoch flicks his fingers, you know, it falls into line. Yeah, I just I don't feel that. It's like yeah, sometimes the thing they want to happen happens, but it doesn't seem like we're talking about say the, the divisions in the Tory Party. That does seem to be talked about in terms of like backbenchers and ministers and so on. It doesn't seem to be talked in terms of like well the male is very, very, you know, passionate about this particular issue, and that's why Sunak can't do it. I do know that Lotto, so the leader of the opposition's office, for those of you aren't familiar with the term, um, Summer's office, they are... They, their target is the Times. If we can get coverage in the Times, if the Times agrees with us, then we're on good ground, we'll stick with that policy. So, um, yes, that is a... I'm, I would call the Times the right-wing media, but maybe not as right-wing as... But there's a lag there, isn't there? Because even though they don't seem to be massively influential with voters, they're still really influential with With the Tory party. So there's this weird gap where, you know, we spend two and a half million on a royal yacht because basically the Telegraph columnists wanted. No, it's been cancelled, but we'd already spent that money. Oh, okay. Because the Telegraph Columnist was doing a campaign Considering what an eventful year we've had, I don't remember it being put in terms of like, oh, you know, Liz Truss could have held on, but then the sun went for her. It seemed like the forces were much bigger. The Daily Mail doesn't like Rishi Sunak much. Um, I wonder why. Interesting. It obviously loved Boris Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) 
be that, or it could just be that he's that bit too rich. Because, you know, the male doesn't like people who are too rich. You have to have just, you know, known a bit of a struggle. And if you're both. Yes, exactly. But, you know, he liked, he liked Boris Johnson, and obviously it loved Liz Truss, because, like, like Theresa May in her day, it exemplified a kind of woman coming in, sorting out Britain kind of, you know, uh, vibe. <laughs> and, and then, and then soon that came along. How did that work out? I can't remember. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and then Sunak just doesn't have the same you, you can tell this paper's really struggling to feel the love for Sunak but I think maybe to go back maybe to, to, to that point I was saying about how the, the media, the broadcast media just needs a bit of a rethink, there's still far too much reliance on what the papers say and a lot of people don't really give a shit I'm not being like anti-print media I so, love print so, media so that they're the, the newspaper review shows that come out at sort of 10pm on Sky and BBC with something else like what Twitter's saying or what what is Alexandreu? Yeah, what does saying? Alex think? Yeah, they yeah. do they do look better. They would. <laughs> they would. Um, uh, next. Phil Morehouse keeps reminding us that the only voters that matter are those who are in seats that aren't safe. Is he right? An annoying YouTuber whose name I didn't catch keeps reminding us that the only voters that matter are the ones that are in seats that aren't safe. Is that person right? What seat is safe on current polling? <laughs> I don't know if there's such a thing. Really, is it generally true, right? Is that not saying any in, 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 a, in this kind of electoral system? Don't get her triggered on the PRC. I feel like this guy has set me up <laughs> to say what I want to do. Anyway, moving on. I'll bow out. Someone from that side, no. Um, we see at the moment all this nonsense about immigration and stopping small boats, and yet a lot of the country is desperate. How long will it take the Conservatives to realise that you can't go mad about uh, small boats and simultaneously have a terrible shortage of labour? I mean, KSR wants to put tax on asylum seekers, so we can talk about that as well. Do you see that? Do you see that? Sorry? Yeah, no, bad, bad, bad. Ooh. We shouldn't be talking, we're maybe confusing small boats with sort of immigration as it relates to the labour market. It's, it's not quite... Um, to be fair, the questioner not, did not, say that. It's not quite the same issue there. Because I think the thing is with the small boats, it's not just an anti-immigration thing. It looks chaotic. It looks like they're out of control. And that's why it's so damaging for them. Sure. But, but um, if you look at, for instance, um, people in the Afghan settlement scheme, um, which is... A, a sort of illegal route, one of one of the few that exist. Um, apparently, Four. over twelve thousand of them a year later are still in temporary accommodation and are still not allowed to work. We, 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 so, we so, so the two do dovetail because because actually you will only get a, a migrant of any description because you know. Essentially, they're just people who have left their country and gone somewhere else. You you can only settle once you are able to have a home and a job. I mean, these are really basic things. And as long as we deprive them of that opportunity... No, I know what you mean. I I suppose I struggle because the the thing that you're doing with with science seekers is it's humanitarian. You know, you, you want... They just need a safe place, you know, to flee kind of, you know... Persecution, yeah. for example, and and so I, I try and separate that from the labour market thing because it's not sure, like the sure. reason you let someone in 
uh, from a country, you know, in, in peril, is not so that you can, you know, get them picking fruit. Which is why what I'm saying is that from the point of view of the migrant, it's important that they're yeah. allowed yeah, yeah. to settle down and, and work. Not, not because we need the labor, but because they need to settle into their new home. Yeah. Does the panel have any faith that the uh, that the uh, Labour government will actually enact electoral reform and constitutional change? I think I would say they haven't that, promised. Can, can we separate yeah. the two? Right, because they promised they constitutional promised reform, but they haven't yeah. promised electoral reform. Right. And well, they did in '97. They didn't do it either. So this is the precedent. Um, it, it, and it really, I can't, you know, it's not looking good. It's not looking good at the moment. They're not. And and all our ask as a you know pro democracy movement of tons of organisations that have been working on trying to get PR through the unions, their conferences, through CLP motions, onto the conference floor, through the democratic structures that exist within the wider labour network. All we're asking is put it as a footnote in tiny font. You don't have to campaign on it. It doesn't have to be front and centre of your manifesto. But please just put it in there because you are the party of equality, because you are the party that has introduced democratic reforms for 50 years. I mean, it was a Labour government that brought PR into Northern Ireland for European elections in the 70s, and then, of course, with the devolved nations and the metro mayors and all of that, and, of course, European elections when we still have them. Um, so build on that heritage. Just, but, but just make it a small little thing in your manifesto. You don't have to otherwise talk about it. So then you at least have got a mandate to do it without a referendum. But the signs are not good. They are not interested. They're not listening. And that's why everybody has to keep the pressure up, keep using whatever means you've got through, 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 through you know, writing to your Labour PPCs, holding them to account. And lots of the Labour PPCs that are being selected around the country right now are being elected on you know, a platform of having been endorsed by you know, Labour for Any Democracy and others to, to, to commit to it. Um, but it's not looking likely. But then the, the Brown Commission has, you know, announced a, a load of stuff that they are still going to consult on. But too much of it is being talked about as a second-term issue. And my argument is, you ain't going to get a second term unless you change the voting system because you're inheriting such a bonfire. It's going to be really hard for you to turn it around and start winning and feeling like Britain is on the up again and, and you know, getting that second term. Yeah. Yeah. So the subject of what they've actually promised, though... Sorry, you didn't say what you were going to say. Yeah, um, I mean, having said all that, which is which is obviously true, we don't yet know if they do. If we do go to an elected second chamber, which is what they're obviously thinking of doing, how that would be elected? It's quite possible it would be elected using PR rather than by first past the post, which would obviously be a step forward. For me, at the moment as well, the priority is the ID. Uh, issue and which we were hoping to see a bit of roadback on today from the government but which has not happened and is really really important this doesn't affect people like us who are coming to uh, events like this because we're all politically engaged and we all have you know we're all on the electoral register and we all have some form of id probably uh, you know passport passport or driving license and it is just the way in which this is being done is so egregious, you know, that the fact that a, 
an elderly person's travel card qualifies as ID, but a young person's travel card doesn't, for reasons that no one can adequately explain, it is going to put so many people off voting who are not, you know, people who are hugely engaged because those people will go out and vote, but people who might well have wanted to go out and vote Labour but will be literally turned away from the voting station because they don't have the right ID. And it is, I'm sure it's something that... And, you're and local authorities about. up and down the country and the returning officers that run elections for, you know, the councils and the boroughs that, that you all live in are saying to the government, we can't do this. This isn't going to happen in time. The forms of ID that need to be rolled out cannot be done in time. There is going to be major voter suppression happening in the May elections next year. I mean, uh, yeah, and, and, and exactly, 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 exactly. Sorry, yeah, what is it about the younger, non-driving uh, person that you, you don't want to... Um, yeah, and it's so on. important that, you know, fingers crossed we do have a different government after the next election that they reverse that anything like that as well. Mm. You know, let's get the small steps at least and let's, let's get a turnaround in the, and, and stop this horrific, horrific step from, from persisting in British politics. If you've been on Twitter.com in the last two weeks, you've probably seen ChatTBT, the, the sort of the release right. of the yeah. new ex- extremely impressive chatbot. Evil. And it's, quite, the it's, it's kind of mind-blowing and it's kind of, it seems like it's going to take a massive chunk out of the knowledge worker economy. How do you, do you think that's going to benefit the Tories or us? Does the existence of chat TBP, whatever it is, uh, intelligent AI thing that writes stuff for you, um, is it go? Uh, well, I don't know about helping the Tories, but is it going to take a bite out of democracy, shall we say? Is it going to make democracy harder to function if you don't know whether something's been written by a human being or by an algorithm? Where's everyone looking at me? I don't think so. I don't think it will. I think it will. Really? I worry more about yeah. what it will do in terms of... Uh, I, I think <laughs> I think anything that basically calls truth, authenticity, source into question helps the people who don't like the facts as they are today. So climate denial, you know, all of that stuff. It creates more confusion. It's more white noise. You're never quite sure who you're talking to. You're never quite sure whether the response you're getting is real or not. And that confusion tends to favour the right wing, historically. So, because we went very male there for a run, and I just wonder if we could fit in one more. Ambulance worker or army officer? It's... Uh, who, who, who is? Um, well, the Tories are saying that the, it's OK for the army to come in to break the ambulance workers' strikes um, in 10 days' time. What do the panel think? I mean, isn't it amazing that, that exactly the same rump of people who absolutely lost their shit about wearing a piece of cloth over their mouth are now totally okay about domestic deployment of the army in our streets, all those libertarians. They seem to be totally okay with that. Um, the, I think there is an elegant response there from unions, and I hope they cotton on to it. I think the various unions who are striking should also strike in solidarity with military staff. They should demand a a proper raise for military staff um, because military uh, personnel cannot strike. And so I think it would be a huge 
extension of solidarity for all the unions who are involved in strikes um, right now to make a proper raise for military personnel part of their demands from government. And I think that's how you solve that conundrum. Um, very sorry for everyone who, who had their hand up and that we didn't have time to get to. Uh, it's a very, very uh, questioning audience tonight. Thank <laughs> you so much for coming. Thank you for everyone watching at home. Thank you. Very Oh God What Now Christmas was presented by Dorian Linsky with Naomi Smith, Ross Taylor and Alex Andreo on the panel. Audio production and editing by Alex Rees and Robin Lieber. The producers are Kasia Tomasiewicz and Jeff Gebertson. The lead producer is Jacob Jarvis and the group editor is me, Andrew Harrison. Thanks to 21 Soho for hosting us. Oh God What Now is a Podmasters production. Oh God What Now